This morning, we're gathered here to celebrate. This past Sunday in our churches, we came together as communities to honor and to remember and to join together and give thanksgiving for the resurrection of Christ. And up until that morning on Sunday, we kind of had to suspend belief a little bit. If you can imagine back to the disciples, what that Saturday might have been like. Christ was crucified on Friday and put in to the grave. And can you imagine for a moment what it might have been like to be one of Jesus' followers, to have spent a lot of your time to have left your families and your occupation behind to follow this person. And then the person dies or is killed and this person's put in to a tomb and the tomb is sealed. And for two days, you're left to just wonder, did I make a big mistake? And so for some of us, it's it might be where we are now, where this, this idea of doubt and confusion and the reality that maybe things aren't going to turn out the way that I had hoped they would. But Sunday rolled around and Jesus rose from the dead. And all of our deep hopes, they came true. And so we celebrate. And so this morning we are here to celebrate, to lift our voices and to say, thank you, God, for your power and for your mercy, that you love us. And so this morning we come together and we awaken ourselves to the reality of God's great power and God's great love. And so this morning I invite you to join us in singing and worshiping and worshiping this Christ who has risen from the dead, who has conquered death, who has overcome evil and sin. And so rise this morning, stand with me now as we sing. Hear these words from the Psalms. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him loud with clashing cymbals. Let everything, let everyone who has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross. Oh, oh, oh. 
Would you sing that with me? Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all. Jesus, Messiah, you're the Lord of all. One more time. Jesus, Messiah, Lord There's a peace I've come to know. i 
This morning, I want you to join me in a responsive confession of our faith, expressing some things that we believe about Jesus. And so, as usual, I will read the, the words in light print, and you will respond uh, with the words in bold. In quietness and darkness, in peace and confusion, Jesus Christ has come to redeem the whole world. He is the light of life. He is the hope for the world. In him there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither Catholic nor Protestant. All are one, Jesus Christ. He is the light of life. He is the hope of the world. In him there is neither black nor white, neither north nor south. All are one. In him there is neither male nor female, neither master nor servant. All are one in Christ Jesus. He's the light of life. He is the hope of the world. In him there is neither rich nor poor, neither middle class nor working class. All are one in Christ Jesus. He is the light of life. He is the hope of the world.
merciful. We thank you. We thank you because there are poor in our world, yet we have plenty. God, who is merciful, we thank you. We thank you because there are those who are wandering and lost, and yet we are found. So God, who is merciful, we thank you. Because there are those who are sick, yet we are well enough to be here in this place even now. So God, who is merciful, we thank you. Because there are those who have died, yet you have overcome death. So God, who is merciful, we thank you. Because even parts of our souls, parts of who we are, seem to be unreachable. Parts of ourselves seem buried. Yet, you have risen. So God, who is merciful, we thank you. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. I was hanging out with uh, my surrogate family in Houston. They're sort of a second family that I've lived in, lived with a couple times when I was in Houston working at a church there. And recently they were sharing how this family that they're very close to, that also are members of the same church, are, are struggling because they recently lost a son. And as they were talking to me about the loss of their college-age son, they were sharing with me how that family has yet to go back to church. And it, this was just a couple weeks ago. It was Palm Sunday, and, and they were looking towards Easter. And can I be honest enough to say I get that? 
that if you're struggling with great pain, if there's been incredible hurt, if there's some great doubt in your life, showing up to church on Easter Sunday with the choir at maximum volume, everything just full tilt, he is risen, is a little much. It, it might just be a little too crippling for that state of mind. And, and that is exactly where Thomas finds himself, isn't it? He was one of the 12. We know that at one point he had been with Jesus, and Jesus was talking about going to visit his best friend Lazarus, and the rest of the disciples were saying, no, we're going to die. We shouldn't go there. And Thomas just finally says, and sort of tinged with pessimism, let's just go. Are you sure we're going to die? But let's just go. Let's just do this. We'll die with you, Jesus. Let's go. When none of the other disciples were willing to do that. And there's this other point where Jesus is trying to explain to them that he is the way, that somehow he has this mystic connection to God that is unique through him. And, and the disciples are kind of rubbing their heads, and they don't get it. But nobody wants to admit this. You've been there, right, when there's, like, someone that's obviously smarter than everybody else, and they're kind of explaining. It's like, uh-huh, oh, yeah, sure, gotcha, following. And you have no clue. Well, this is where the disciples are at. And Thomas finally is willing enough to be brave enough to kind of say, hey, I, I don't get it. We don't understand what you're talking about. We don't know what it means that you're the way. And so Thomas has over and over again shown that he has a faith to follow after Christ, that he's willing to go to the tough places. But something about the crucifixion has been so terribly painful for Thomas that he just can't go there anymore. Scripture doesn't record why he's not there with the disciples. We just know that he's not there with the disciples. It kind of reminds me of that scene in the movie Signs where there's Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix character and they're on the couch and they're watching the television and alien ships have finally for the first time appeared hovering as lights over Mexico. And Joaquin Phoenix's character looks to Mel Gibson, who used to be a priest or a pastor in this uh, movie, and says to him, can you give me some comfort? And Mel Gibson's words to him are this. Well, there's basically two groups of people in the world. The first group will look at something that's lucky, and they will see it as more than luck, more than chance, more than just some inconsequential thing. They will see purpose behind it. They will see that something good is guiding them and looking after them. But then there's this other group, Mel Gibson goes on to explain, and they look at that and they see only chance. And they see it as 50-50. It could be good, it could be bad, but whatever it is, they know that they are on their own. And so in this pivotal point in the movie, everyone's seeing the same sign, right? But having totally different responses. And that's what we find in our text. Jesus has risen. They've gone. The grave is empty. The, the burial clothes are there. And yet people are having incredibly different reactions, responses. And I wonder, what will your reaction, what will your response be to the resurrection of Jesus? Thomas says, I'm going to have to be able to touch him. I'm going to have to be able to put my hand in his side before I will ever believe. It's kind of like that old sort of proverb that fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And Thomas says, I'm not going to be taken in on this ever again. And scripture then records that he goes a week, right there in verse 26. A week later, his disciples, referring to Jesus, were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. A whole week. I wonder what that week was like for Thomas. I wonder if the disciples were kind of just like really overbearing, like they were kind of doing the first century equivalent of sending him texts all the time, like, here's a scroll, come on, just want to let you know, we miss you, come on, we should come back, we miss you, come on, we're bringing food, let's do this kind of thing. He's like, hey, hold up, watch, stop posting on my Facebook wall here, I'm kind of, I'm trying to hang out, do my own thing right now, okay? 
calm down, restraining order sort of situation. I don't know if it was like that for Thomas, but whatever the disciples' reaction was, it must have been okay because a week later, he's there with them. He has rejoined the community. We don't know. In fact, it's probably likely that he hasn't yet still believed again in Christ, but he's there with them. But I imagine that week was incredibly hard, full of doubt, full of despair. I thought that he was going to be the one who redeemed all of Israel. I thought he was the one that all of humanity could finally have hope in, and yet he has been crucified. It's final. It's done. It's over. And to live in that paradox, that tension, with all your friends saying, no, he's risen. Come see him. We've seen him. And to be the only one that says, no, I just can't do that. I can't allow myself to go there. That just doesn't feel like that's resonating with the core of who I am. It must have been an incredibly tumultuous, difficult week for Thomas. And after that week, he is there, and Jesus shows up, and Jesus offers to Thomas the ability to put his hand in his side and to touch his, the, the nail marks in his hands. And we don't know. Scripture doesn't record whether Thomas actually does it or not, but what Scripture does tell us is this, that Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. The one who had been known, who still throughout the church history is kind of known still as Doubting Thomas, is the one who makes the most bold, audacious, exclamation point statement of who Jesus Christ is. Nobody in all the Gospels has yet to go so far as to say, my Lord and my God. And yet Thomas does at this point. And I want to tell you something. I don't think he goes there if he hasn't had that week. He can believe bravely because he has doubted deeply, because he has struggled strongly. And in that, his relationship with God has been forged into something new, something different, something transforming. The resurrected Christ has appeared on the stage, and it has changed everything for Thomas. But he had to be willing to go there. He had to be willing to question to struggle, to say I don't have all the answers, to say this is hard for me. And it's sort of in this liminal space, in this kind of in-between place that Thomas finds himself, that God forges in, into a follower of Christ that says, no limits. I'm all in. I'm ready to go. And Jesus Christ has risen. And the thing that would have been really crazy for Thomas and for the disciples was that the Jewish expectation of resurrection, if it was even there for some, and for a lot it wasn't, but for the group that it was, was that resurrection would happen sometime far off in the future. Kind of the way we say like, oh, well, I want to be sure I know Jesus so that I can go to heaven someday. And so it was no one was ever thinking resurrection is going to happen here, now, like before everything doesn't end. And yet here is Jesus standing resurrected. And I think what that means for us, how that helps us in our faith, is that Resurrection isn't just some future in time or when we all get to heaven someday, won't that be great? It's a current reality that Christ invites us to lean into, to lean into his life. Even though we have questions, even though we have struggles, even though we have doubts, to lean into his life, to lean into his love, and to find that as we struggle, our faith is formed. Would you stand with me? For the benediction.
As you go from here, may you doubt deeply, struggle strongly, and believe bravely. Peace be with you. Amen.